0: Welcome to Democracy in Color with Steve Phillips, a color conscious podcast about politics. I'm your host, Steve Phillips. And as I said in the opening of our last episode, when it comes to the midterm elections, nobody knows anything. To be more precise, what I should have said is that nobody in the mainstream media knows anything. There's now lots of shock and surprise at how poorly Republicans did across the country. But if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that we've been saying for over a year that nothing was foreordained and the results would come down to voter turnout. Here at Democracy in Color, we endeavor to bring you information, analysis, and voices that you might not hear or see in the dominant media platforms. And in that spirit, we are doing something new for us and bringing you today a unique joint podcast episode with another great podcast you should also listen to. We're joined by the host of the Democracy-ish podcast, a podcast dedicated to fighting for democracy and preserving your sanity in a time when both are under active assault by forces committed to white supremacy and stupidity. Those two different things. After you finish listening to this episode, (laughs) head over to the Democracy-ish podcast to hear the other half of this conversation. And we'll have a link to their show in our show notes. Our guests today always keep it real, blunt, and entertaining as they discuss how we can achieve a multiracial democracy and cover all the ground left behind by mainstream media and seek to make sense out of the nonsense. For this conversation, I'm joined as always by my co-host, Charlene Chang. Hi Charlene, did you survive the midterms and are you ready to have guests over and would you like to introduce our guest?
1: Hey Steve, I am so glad we've survived the midterms and I know we're going to get into that today and I'm totally stoked to introduce our guests and I'm ready. This is super exciting. We're doing something kind of special today. We are so happy to have us here. Danielle Moody and Wajahat Ali, hosts of the Democracy-ish podcast. Danielle is a former and self-proclaimed recovering lobbyist turned media maven. She's a seasoned strategic communications and PR expert, and she is a frequent commentator on MSNBC, CBC, PBS, and BBC America. She has also scripted, developed, produced, and co hosts podcasts and miniseries for both radio and TV. And then outside of their podcast, Danielle is also the host of Woke AF. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, I love that name. We in there, she explores the many facets of what it means to be woke in our modern life. And I'm here for it. We are also here today, uh, joined by her co-host of Democracy-ish, Wajahat Ali, or as many people call him, Waj. And as he has said, we could call him Waj. Waj is a Daily Beast columnist, public speaker, recovering attorney. I feel like there's a little bit of a you know, theme here. And according to his bio, a tired dad of three cute kids, and I guess many times you, I'm wondering if he's just grateful they're cute. Because three kids, man, I have one, and I can barely say, like, <laughs> maybe, like, I know you have a, he has a TED talk <laughs> called um, Case for Having Kids. And I sometimes, think about having a TED talk, that might be the opposite. He's also the playwright of the Domestic (laughs) Crusaders and an author. His first book, Go Back to Where You Came From and Other Helpful Recommendations on Becoming American, was published in January. His essays, interviews, and reporting have appeared in the New York Times, the Atlantic, the Washington Post, the Guardian, and New York Review of Books welcome danielle watch so excited to have you guys here today and get in it post-election post midterms uh we are just thrilled thanks, thanks for, for making it sound so
2: awesome i was like damn, that's uh <laughs> that's impressive my wife is probably listening to that like who's are you, that are you guys i American. i was
1: doing research and also getting you know help from <laughs> our you know our our awesome team and writers and i was like there's so much more awesome stuff i say but you know we do have to make time for you guys to actually be able to talk about the midterms, but you guys are amazing. The stuff you have done um, and all your experience and all, you know, all the great work you're putting out there.
0: I'm, I'm stuck on the playwright part. Having Thank written you. an actual book, I'm all like, oh, a whole play. That's a whole different kind of writing. I can't even wrap my mind around.
2: <clears throat> this is what happens when you're trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up and what when you're a child of immigrants and you're not a doctor. <laughs> Uh, so you just have to like keep adding lines to the bio, so one of these days your, your family can like you know just see you as an American success, uh, and not hang their head in shame. That's all. That's all it is. Kids, well, I'm thrilled to have
0: both note. of you here. Kids take note. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think we were talking beforehand. I think Danielle, you and I have been circling each other out there for many years, probably almost a decade now. So I'm glad to actually be directly, well, directly digitally connected at the same you know time and space moment. So. Yes. So we're really glad you could be here. But I wanted to begin actually by kind of asking both of you, right? So, you know, we do, you know, very explicitly say color conscious podcast about politics. It's a a relatively lonely island in terms of certainly the political space to have a a race conscious lens. And also, we've never done a joint podcast before. I think this is, you know, it's going to be interesting for us and also for our listeners. So could you just to start off, share with us what made you guys to decide to start the podcast Democracy-ish?
3: Um, well, I can, I can jump in here. So basically, Democracy-ish was started, I think, I want to say three or four years ago. It's unclear. Um, But basically, the announcement of Donald Trump, a white supremacist, a misogynist, um, an accused sexual assaulter, um, had the audacity to announce that he was going to run for president of the United States. And at that time, many people were thinking to themselves, he'll never be president. And many of us, people of color, were just like, oh, no, 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 you don't know this country. And he can absolutely become president um, of the United States. And so... Democracy-ish was, you know, a nod to the fact that we don't really truly live in a democracy. If you are a person of color, if you are a child of immigrants, like both uh, Waj and I are, um, you recognize that, yeah, our democracy is a little shaky when it comes to our rights um, and our citizenship. And so this was an opportunity to start a show um, that really elevated that perspective Um, and talked about the real, you know, the real patriots behind who are the defenders of our democracy and this idea of perfecting our union.
0: And we should point out with something which I've been so deeply buried in precinct data in Arizona that I've not had the full national picture up to and including the fact that we're recording this on Tuesday, but that it's quite possible slash likely that Tuesday night Trump is going to announce his 2024 presidential bid or certainly giving a speech where he's teasing that out. So contextually, that's, I think, uh, you know, relevant. I think people to all of us grapple with is going to frame the environment going forward. So why do you guys Anything? how she dragged you into this endeavor?
2: So T- <laughs> <Ture> was <laughs> yes. the first co-host uh, of Democracy-ish. Oh. And and then, you know, uh, he was doing his podcast. So Danielle then went on auditioning for co-host without telling me she was auditioning for co-host. And she's like, can you... It's true, I did. She's like, can you just step in? (laughs) And so I stepped in a couple of times. And then like a month later, she goes, listen, uh, that was basically an audition. And you were my first choice. And Fareed (laughs) Zakaria said no. (laughs) So can you step in (laughs) as as my... Yeah, Fareed said no, and Hassan Minaj said no, and Riz Ahmed said no, uh, and, and Ali Velshi is booked. So you are my right. fifth favorite brown person podcast co-host, and uh, and specifically, you know, she's like, listen, I, you know, we've been following each other. We're part of the same, uh, I guess, liberal Illuminati, which has no power and money, and you know, it's it's a group that I think you know individuals, especially in the Trump era, have found each other to you know just to check up on each other be like, yo, am I? Am I crazy or is this whack? And you're like, no, no, this is whack. You're like, okay, so I'm being gaslit. Yes, you are. And so there's a bunch of us who've kept each other in check and and do temperature checks on each other. And the stuff that we warned about since 2015, in fact, since our entire career, has come to fruition. And we realize, oh, people of color in particular were a step ahead of where America was going. Uh, We tried to warn, and yet America always... (laughs) does not hear a warning. The The analogy that we give on Democracy-ish sometimes is uh, we're like Paul Revere uh, warning folks, but instead of being celebrated, we'll get <laughs> shot off of the horse. Uh, and so, you know, everything that we're witnessing now in 2022, we've been talking about. And so I found that Democracy-ish and also having Danielle a- as a partner gives us the space to build that community where we keep it real, where we keep it honest. And, you know, speaking, Stephen, you're talking about the midterms. So many of those who are entrusted to inform Americans got it wrong. Uh, This incestuous political ecosystem that we know of, they were wrong and we were right and we called it like you called it. And oftentimes, instead of uh, succeeding, we get called crazy. But I do think there is an opportunity here where enough people are like, oh, there was no red wave. Oh, abortion is a kitchen table issue. Oh, these blacks and browns and Asians talking about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. They're on to something. And there is a moment here where I think enough people are saying, ah, the Daniels, the Steve's, the Charlene's, the Wadges. They, too, are Americans. They're real mm-hmm. Americans. Their voice is important. And maybe we should listen to them if we want to save this thing called democracy in America.
1: I, I just want to say I've been listening to a few of uh, your episodes. It's a fantastic podcast. Even though I, you were fifth choice, you guys have a great rapport. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Danielle just decided to go with it. But I um, really love like you guys are high energy, passionate, and you have fantastic guests on and you get into it. You have fun, but um, you really like the kind of conversations you have. I, again, I like you would say like we just don't have enough of that. And I would, you know, that is just something that we are also hoping that our listeners We'll get a chance to tune into just uh, you, you guys and your take and uh, the kind of guest lineup that you guys have and topics that you get into. So speaking of politics, let's get into it. Here we are post midterm cycle 2022 in the books. I want to check in on everyone. How's everyone feeling? I'm going to check in with you, Danielle, first.
3: You know, I, I will tell you that um, I am feeling much better than I had anticipated feeling. Uh, I am a person who does not believe in the polls, and I had told people from the beginning that I haven't paid attention to polls since 2016 because Hillary Clinton was supposed to be my president, Mm -hmm. and that is Mm. not how things turned out. And so this idea that, you know, people with uteruses in this country were just going to say... I don't need bodily autonomy. The idea that young people weren't going to recognize that the Republican Party was going to block their ability to live a life that is Mm -hmm. debt-free. You know, the reality that people weren't going to pay attention to the fact that over a million Americans died of COVID. Um, And that more than half of those deaths could have been prevented if we had a leader who told us the truth about how contagious it was and then went above and beyond to make sure that people got the kind of care that they needed, regardless of what red or blue state they lived in. So I think that what was underestimated, too, on top of that was the fact that Generation Z is the first generation, I believe, in this country that... Um, is now a voting age between 18 and 30 years old. And they have been living with active shooter drills their entire lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That mm-hmm. they have been living in this sense of trauma and repetitive doom that many of us talking right now have never experienced. Mm-hmm. And so, again, to think that when they finally have a voice and a vote that they're not going to utilize it when they recognize that the people that have been in charge have dismissed the needs of children while saying that they are pro-life, right, was heavily underestimated. So for me, you know, I as as we are still waiting for more um, details with regard to how much Republicans will win the House by. Um, but to know that we still have power uh, over the Senate, to know that Joe Biden, as a leader of the Democratic Party, did what he said that he would do. Um, I, I today have a lot more hope uh, than the mustard seed of hope that I usually carry around with me. And I feel like more people in America have woken up to the reality that our democracy is not something that you can be complacent about. That it is something that you have to be vigilant about and that they have a responsibility and the protection of their democracy for themselves, but for future generations. And I think that we saw that with these historic turnouts. And that gives me a lot of hope. So I I, I feel good Right now, I know that we're not out of the clear, but I feel a hell of a lot better than I did
1: a couple of weeks ago. All right. The mustard seeds, are, I don't know, <laughs> apple seed, <laughs> maybe kind of pairs fruit. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's bigger. It's yeah. bigger.
3: It's a bigger fruit. It's bigger. So,
2: so, so for, for those who, who haven't listened to our podcast, you'll know is that Danielle is mm. the resident cynic uh, <laughs> and I have to be true. the nice, resident nice. optimist. Uh, and, and, and Danielle usually competes with our guest who will swear more in, in, uh, in, in the podcast episode. And even when I want to swear, I can't cause I got three Rugrats running around oh, that as stops speak. You? That stops you. But mine, my... <laughs> no, it, it kind of does. Uh, you know, for me, I was, it, I think for everyone who's listening, it's okay to feel mm-hmm. relief. It's okay mm-hmm. to smile. It's oh. okay to be hopeful. we need these moments we need this moment of catharsis to excel right and i was wrong and i'll I'll admit when i was wrong i thought based on the numbers based on redistricting based on disinformation based on history i thought republicans would easily pick up 20 to 25 which is not a wave it's a trickle i thought the Mm -hmm. senate would go down as it is hopefully hopefully enough people in georgia realize walker is not the best option uh yeah to say the least but, you know, to, to as Daniel was saying, to see if you've seen these polls specifically of college voters, right, in these battleground states, I mean, Republicans got shellacked. I'm talking about like 88 to 92 percent of these students voted Democrat. And the fact that secretary, it wasn't just the House and the Senate, secretaries of state, state legislatures, governors, some of the biggest election deniers got voted out of office, such as Kerry Lake, right? And there is a case coming out, folks, that I want you all to pay attention to. It's called Moore v. Harper. I'll repeat yep. that. Moore v. Harper. The Supreme Court's going to take this, take this case up, which if the justices, the, the right-wing hacks on the Supreme Court, give it a stamp of approval, it will allow the coup in search of a legal theory to take effect and gives the power to the state legislatures to pretty much turn over the elections wow. going up to 2024. Well. So I hope... These losses and the fact that these secretaries of state went to Democrat gives us enough of a bulwark to mm-hmm. survive the next coup attempt. And and even though, as I have hope, what I, I was going to write this article tonight or tomorrow, we have to be more vigilant. We have to be more relentless and we have to be more committed to democracy because these forces, ladies and gentlemen, ain't stopping. You'd think they'd do an audit and be like, hmm, we ran nuts and freaks. They're doubling down. <laughs> And the result we got today, a a little news item just to give people a heads up. uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has so much power right now that Steve Scalise apparently is going to cave into her demand that if they get the House, it hasn't been confirmed yet, that they will investigate Nancy Pelosi. So we're going to see a lot of BS investigations on Pelosi, Hunter Biden, just absolute nonsense. And my hope is because I believe and I think Daniel believes that we're dealing with a radicalized, weaponized force that is not going to moderate that enough people see what's happening. And this ends up being the death rattle for them in 2024. And the one analogy I'll give is Newt Gingrich, right? When, and Steve remembers this, Charlene, you all remember this. We're the old heads. Daniel does as well. When they had that huge Republican takeover in the mid nineties, they squandered that opportunity, tried to impeach Bill Clinton. And they thought, ah, this will rally the masses. Instead of mm-hmm. what happened, it helped Clinton. So I do think it's an opportunity for Democrats not to chase the middle or the alleged average American in the Rust Belt, but to have passion and to speak passionately and to throw down on these kitchen table issues and then they can mobilize that majority that needs to come out again in 2024.
1: All right. What about you, Steve?
0: Uh, Yeah, well, it's interesting that um, there's a was it half of the podcast are recovering lawyers, and so in terms of here, and so <laughs> I immediately did actually just go call up more more versus Harper, and I want to actually touch on that for a second. But I think just writ large in terms of, so I uh, agree definitely with what you know what the other hosts were saying, and this is what we had talked about in our last podcast about this is going to come down to ter- well three things, right? That there is in fact, as we've been saying from the time in. 2014, we started writing Brown is the new white, that there is a new American majority in this country, that these elections are determined by turnout, and that this foreordainedness about the midterm curse is uh, in defiance of the math of the situation, that if there were large turnout, we actually could actually do quite well in the midterms. And all that has played itself out. And so I feel fundamentally affirmed and fairly optimistic in general about how all this has played itself out. And then two things I want to lift up specifically, well, one is is the Arizona piece, right? So in terms of what a lot of what we were focused mm-hmm. on, Arizona was in fact the state we put the most time, energy, and resources into, in addition to, I mean, obviously we've been heavily involved for a decade in Georgia, but Stacey's kind of taken that to this whole other level in Warnock's operation. It's like a very robust operation. And where so we thought it could be more helpful in Arizona and that it completely lost to, to the media coverage. The Arizona Wins Coalition of the grassroots groups that came out of the SB 1070 show me, show me your papers law. These young activists who fought, you know, who were immigrants, tried, tried to to uh, uh, stop the government from passing this law, became activists and built organizations and built a coalition to build a movement. And that coalition and that movement, the three dozen groups part of Arizona Wins, they knocked on two point five million doors this election. Wow. And that's totally lost in terms wow. of what actually happened in terms of how um, Katie Hobbs won. So I want to lift them up and salute them. Um, John Laredo is a previous guest on the podcast. And so this that's amazing work that they had done. And then to this point, I didn't actually, I hadn't even gotten to the level of specifics around the case um, Moore versus Harper. So I really appreciate um, why sharing that. But I think that this is also lost in this election is we made significant strides To block the coup. So very much the coming coup was going to be through these state legislatures. they were going to try to do it through the states and just throw out the election results. And so, well, for one, we have flipped the Michigan state legislature. And so that's one, so it was really going to come down to like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, as places they would try to, and probably Georgia, try to subvert the will of the voters. So Michigan is a key cog in that that's now taken from them. As we're recording this, Pennsylvania is on the cusp of flipping their state house. And so the, that's another piece, as well as then winning the governorships in all these places, all those three Midwestern states, as well as Arizona. So people are not appreciating that we took a major step towards being able to block the 2024 right. coup mm-hmm. in these midterms. And that is a very significant um, outcome as well.
1: That is like... Uh, so many things to be reminded of, just putting it in that context, all the different kinds of wins, including not just the uh, you know the major races, but um, you know the ones that maybe people aren 't really necessarily thinking of. Uh, I do want to check in with everybody about uh, one of the major races, and i 'm going to start with you, Steve, as uh, is natural for me to ask you. I know that you overall feel really good about the midterm election results, but I do want to check in with you about um, you know, your interpretation of some of those results and namely one of the ones that comes to mind is Stacey Abrams race against in Georgia, the governor's race for Georgia, and she was up against her arch nemesis incumbent Brian Kemp. And namely because, as you know, I am quite animated <laughs> and, uh, you know, angry about a lot of the wrong takes that I'm seeing on, you know, the takeaways on, from this race. But I wanted to check in with you, Steve.
0: So I would just say three things. There's lots, lots more conversations to go. The headline being, Stacey's not done changing this country by any stretch of imagination, and so let's just you know begin with that. Um, and then the other, guy I actually had worked on this uh, chart looking at voter turnout. And voter turnout in Georgia was vi- was literally flat on a on a chart. From 2010 gubernatorial, 2014 gubernatorial, until 2018 when Stacey ran. And Stacey ran on the theory she was going to mobilize large numbers of people of color. And she did. She had a historic turnout. But the conservatives and the people who wanted to keep Georgia a primarily white-run state also came out in large numbers. And so it was always on the knife's edge. And then you have massive voter suppression in 2018. They h- took hundreds of thousands of people off of the rolls. And so again, they see had massive turnout, but they also have massive turnout. So, But I would just We can't even get to the question of Stacey's race. And I would just pose two questions. I'm going to write something about this, um, this first part for The Guardian. To look first at the Senate race in Georgia, where you had, on the one hand, a scandal-marred, sin-filled candidate with no qualifications and no political experience and no political, you didn't even live in Georgia, and multiple conservative Christian scandals, multiple children, and then different abortions and all of these different things. White evangelical Christians in Georgia gave 88% of their vote to him over Mm. a pastor who was the heir and successor Mm -hmm. to Martin Luther King. So this is the first, mm-hmm. so then the first question I ask people is what does that say about the electorate in which Stacey Abrams was running? So that I think has to, is the, first, you know, the, the size of the mountain that she was trying to scale. And then this is
2: White supremacy is a hell this of a is drug. The, yes. Sorry, boiling
0: it all supremacy. down. Right. And so then the second part is why has America never had a black woman governor and did never even had a black gubernatorial nominee mm-hmm. until Stacey in 2018? Mm-hmm. Wow. Is it that we have not had any talented black people? Or does this say something about the electorate? And so if white supremacy is a hell of a drug, and if sexism is a hell of a drug, the mountain that a black woman is up against to try to become a governor is enormous. And so I say that to put it all in perspective, but as somebody who's been on this journey with Stacey for 11 years now and knowing her from being an unknown state legislator who could barely get a meeting with different people and they could scrape together maybe a few thousand dollars, she has built one of the most formidable political operations in the history of this country, raised $100 million, has the clarity of vision and plan and focus that we have not heard the end of Stacey Abrams, and this country will be the better for that. And so let's stay tuned and stay on on watch for what is next. I do believe the big things are coming next. So in a lot of ways, the calendar is pivoting. All in, towards looking at 2024. And when this airs, Trump may have already announced his candidacy. There's all these podcasts and discussions around Ron DeSantis out of Florida, and is he going to run, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm interested, Danielle and Watch, both, of how are you guys thinking about 2024? Because that's beginning now. What are your thoughts about Biden, whether Biden should be running? If not Biden, who? I'm very curious what you're both thinking and what are you hearing as you're talking with people?
2: So for 2024, I think it's clear that as of now, I think Joe Biden is the candidate. And even though we are concerned about his age and, you know, Danielle and I have talked about this on the podcast before, right now, you need to win the election. And right now, the force that is mobilizing most Americans is Joe Biden. And we've underestimated Joe Biden before. Yep. He stuck around. And the, my one fear for Joe Biden was that he would not calibrate to the moment. The last couple of weeks in particular, especially with the speech and the comments he made Mm -hmm. against MAGA as a semi-fascist threat and the speech that he made, which was not aired by any major news channel, where he called out the Republicans' ongoing attack on democracy and the fact that that message was then carried on by the Democratic Party and then galvanized by Obama, the fact that they took on abortion and Social Security finally as a kitchen table issues it gives me hope that Biden is recognizing that I gave them two years. And I wish he wouldn't even have given them two years because Danielle Lauer is saying the, that speech should have yeah. come out two years yeah. ago. Like at the mm-hmm. beginning, right, 2020, right when he got it, he should have said, I'm dealing with the fascist movement. And then from that point on, media would have followed suit. Democrats would have followed suit. Activists would have followed suit. But we're also dealing with a creature who is, by his own accounts, been in the center <laughs> for like 900 years. <laughs> at is least. an institutionalist. <laughs> you know, it's all... You know, that's who he is. Right. So the fact that he's able to calibrate and I believe very strongly that that recalibration, especially in the past two months, is what Mm -hmm. galvanized the victory. Uh, When people saw that fight, that passion, that authenticity, the promise that if you give me these votes, I will codify Roe v. Wade. I will protect marriage equality. I will protect Social Security. So for right now, what I'm seeing is we have to get behind Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for 2024. Don't even entertain any other talking points. Squash it immediately. I don't care if he doesn't excite you. We have to win. And and if I have to be super blunt, and forgive me for this analogy, right? People say, okay, he's old. What's going to happen? Listen, I need Joe, you know, may Joe Biden, inshallah, as we say, God will, I need this dude to stay alive until he gets inaugurated 2025. Just that's it. He needs to stay alive until that moment. And hopefully, inshallah, he stays alive much longer. But really, if I have to be pragmatic, folks, get behind them. You can win over enough swing voters, enough, just enough white voters, enough people who trust this man and enough people of color who say, you know what, Joe Biden stuck with Obama and Obama stuck with him. We trust him and then worry about 2028 later. And I last thing I'll say is my prediction is DeSantis is -hmm. dangerous because he's less self-destructive than Trump. However, he lacks Trump's Mm -hmm. charisma. He's a wet noodle. And no matter how much you try to make invisible Coke a thing, invisible Coke was not a thing. So I think, yeah, they're lining up behind DeSantis, but I think Biden versus DeSantis, once DeSantis is exposed and his cruelty is exposed, America ain't Florida, folks. I think that's going to be a win for Biden.
0: So, Danielle, I'm curious about your 2024 thoughts, but also your 2021 and 2022 feelings in the early stages of the Biden administration. How did you feel about the administration? They are very, you know, made different decisions around pursuing this bipartisanship piece. And so how do you, how did you feel and how are you feeling now looking towards 2024?
3: Well, Steve, I curse Biden out on a majority of my shows Um, every time that he would talk about his friends from across the aisle. Um, I was one of those uh, pundits that was very clear mm-hmm. um, about the fact that Mitch McConnell is not your friend, right? And mm-hmm. so the old right. days that you wanted to hearken back to of uh, cloakroom deals over bourbon and cigars is no longer the Washington that we live in. And I needed Joe Biden, along with the very brilliant people that he hired around him, to wake the hell up. And it was something that I was, you know, told that if if we lost midterms, it was gonna be my fault <laughs> because I because I tell the truth. And apparently, if you tell the truth, then somehow you become problematic. And so my feeling, you know, I go off of what Wash said is that we have to remember, and and it's it's hard because so much has happened, but he was inaugurated. On the heels of us seeing the Capitol building besieged yeah. with thugs and um and monsters that were trying to overturn our democracy, that actually built a gallows on the steps mm-hmm. of the Capitol building. And so when you have when you see that, as we all watch, mm-hmm. as the world watched. And then you turn and re- and talk about these people who then came back into a chamber and voted to overturn your election. Yeah. They're not your friends. <laughs> and so I felt that I felt that Joe Biden for for the first year and a half was in this um, Obama era slumber where he thought that kindness and frankly, his whiteness yeah. was going to be able to win over folks who had said during Obama's time that he was going to be a one-term president. And what he did not realize is that those people had long since sold their souls to Trumpism and to creating a fascist regime in America. So when fast forward to now the soul of a nation speech that we saw in Philadelphia, um, that was, you know, I thought it was on time, but also Mm -hmm. late because again, I wanted that speech on inauguration yep. day. I wanted that speech yep. on inauguration day and then every day thereafter to remind America what is at risk every single day that we allow Republicans airtime, that we don't punch back in the press and that we allow their, their ideology to be considered something that is of the norm when it isn't, right? Um, and so I think that I have finally gotten my wish in that Biden has, waken, has woken up I think that Biden does realize, I don't know what happened to my friends. I don't know what mm. happened to these people who we shared this idea of America and that we could disagree, as Obama used to say, without being disagreeable. Those mm. days are long gone. And I think that he finally recognized that. And then you saw it and you're continuing to see it with the moves that he is making. Um, and so I I, I agree with Wash. He is going to be the 2024 uh, nominee. I believe that we back him with everything that we have, because in all honesty, outside of the these are my friends from across the aisle, he has not failed us. He has not failed us in inheriting an actual sewer from the Trump administration. And so I think that he deserves our backing. And as was said, that any questions that we are asked about too old and too this and too that, shut it down. I'm not even I won't entertain it. No one should entertain it. And we should just press forward.
0: Amen to that. And I also think that I think that there needs to be a fight on the or a struggle within the progressive and democratic uh, coalition around the direction, the strategy, the leadership. But I would like four more years to, before we really launch into that <laughs> fight, actually. so
2: mm-hmm. And Republicans might, you know, Steve, Republican extremism might force that fight earlier than later. Right. And, and, and I think there's mm. enough momentum here on the side. Uh, the reason why this was so big and last thing I'll say, I know I'm running out of time is the fact that so many yeah. young people came out and the fact that these single women, these unmarried women who are now the greatest threat to the Republican Party. Right and the fact that Latinos in Arizona did not go the way that the GOP thought. Democratic establishment and, and the folks who are get paid a lot of money to be wrong have to take that into consideration, that you can't do the usual okie doke with this multicultural base that gave you this historic Senate victory during a 2022 midterm where you were supposed yeah. to be wiped out. And so I think that fight and that passion and that type of come to a Jesus moment uh, will probably happen much sooner and I think needs to happen. I will say this for a 2024 victory.
1: I do hope that they pay attention and don't kind of go, well, that was a fluke <laughs> and not take it, you know, <laughs> not take the correct lessons away. So yes, I'm so glad that we had you guys on. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. We're really just excited to also be on your podcast and once you've finished listening to this episode, listeners, make sure to head over to Democracy-ish. And again, we will put their podcast link in our show notes. You'll be able to listen to Waj and Danielle interview us and we'll continue this conversation. And we're just stoked to get our listeners to check out your podcast, get it on their radar and follow you guys on social media. And this is, you know, this has just, just been a great conversation.
0: Yep, time time uh, flies when uh, you have guests over. So I want to thank both of you guys for uh, really initiating this idea around the joint episode. We really enjoyed this part of the conversation. And for our listeners, that's all the time we have today for our podcast. Thank you for listening to Democracy in Color with Steve Phillips. Please help us get the word out about this podcast by subscribing wherever you get your podcast, sharing with your friends, tweeting at Democracy Color and at Steve P. Tweets. And find us at Democracy in Color on Facebook or subscribing to our newsletter at democracyincolor.com. Democracy in Color is also on Instagram. You can follow us at, at color. And if you listen to our podcast on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a comment. This podcast is a Democracy in Color production produced by Olivia Parker, with support from Charlene Chang, Fola Onifade, and April Elkier. Recorded virtually with the assistance of the podcast studio of San Francisco Until next time, let's do what we can to take the ish out of democracy and keep the faith.